Good morning. Hey, my name is Kevin. I am the groups and discipleship pastor here at Genesis, and uh, I am excited to be here with you all this morning. I'm excited you all braved the cold and the snow uh, to come here. Hey, we're in week three of our series called Follow Me. And really, in this series, what we've been asking is the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And so in week one, Steve emphasized uh, the focus that Jesus invites us into a relationship and that Jesus doesn't invite us into religious behavior or uh, a set of rules, but it's that relationship that Jesus invites us to and it's a relationship that he leads and we follow and we submit to his leadership. In week two, last week, Steve talked about transformation. And that transformation for the Christian begins immediately when when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we declare him as Lord and Savior of our lives. The Holy Spirit enters into our life and we are, we become adopted and justified, Steve talked about. And then he talked about how from that point forward, the Holy Spirit spends the rest of our lives transforming us. It's a process we call sanctification. Well, today, I'm excited that we get to answer one of the most often questions asked in the church uh, today. It's a question that you have asked. It's a question I have asked. We've all asked it at various times in our lives. You may be asking it right now in the season of life or in the circumstances you find yourself. And the question is this, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for your life? It's a big question. I'm going to give you the answer right off the bat. I'm going to answer it right now, and then we're going to pray and leave. I'm just kidding. Here's the answer to the question. God's will for your life is that you bring Him glory by bearing fruit from your relationship with Jesus. This is God's will for our lives. God's will is that we would bring Him glory by bearing fruit from our relationship with Jesus. And so... We're going to spend the next half hour just kind of unpacking this phrase a little bit. And it doesn't matter if you're a student or if you're a stay-at-home mom. God's will for your life is that you would bring Him glory by bearing fruit from your relationship with Him. It doesn't matter if you're single or married, if you're a man or a woman, if you're 22 years old, if you're 62 years old. It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus your whole life or if you're sitting here this morning and you're just at the very beginning of your journey with Christ. God's will for your life is that you bring Him glory by the fruit that you bear and that comes from your relationship with Jesus. Now, let's look at that first phrase, you bring God glory. Now, this is true, this, tr- this truth, you bring God glory, your life is to bring God glory, is true for all of life. In fact, if you don't understand that all of life, all of heaven and earth, all of everything that exists is Uh, exist to bring God glory, then you're going to have a hard time understanding God's will for your life. Let me give you one simple yet profound and important reason why it's, it's, uh, it's critical that we understand that our lives are meant to bring Him glory. I mean, this is a topic that we could spend an entire sermon series, or really, for that matter, an entire year studying. But I'm going to give you one reason why it's critical for us to understand that our lives are to bring Him glory. And that reason is found in Genesis 1, 1. The very first, very first verse in all the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Have you ever considered, ever considered why the very first thing that God reveals about himself in all of the scripture is that he is the creator of all things? Well, I think it's, 
I think it's simple. I think it's because everything begins there. Everything begins with understanding that God is worthy of all the glory and the attention of our lives. And that's part of our will, his will for our lives because he's the creator. Now, this shouldn't be something new to us. We should be used to this because throughout our life and throughout our culture, we see this happen. In fact, we're going to do a little participation. Uh, I'm going to list a few things, a few creations or inventions, if you will, that you know. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to say out loud, so I need your participation here, say out loud the name of the individual who is famous or who's well known for inventing it. Okay, here we go. The light bulb. Thomas Edison. The airplane. The Wright brothers. There you go. El- educated crowd. I'm great. This is good. How about, how about the telephone? Alexander Graham Bell. That's right. Okay, we live in the state of Indiana. What about the sport of basketball? James Naismith, yes. It's March Madness. Let it begin. Hey, what about Microsoft? Bill Gates, right? What about the internet? Al Gore. Yes. I was hoping a few people would get that. Al Gore did not create the internet, but he claimed he created the internet at one point in time. Some of you are too young to remember that joke. But you know what? We give honor and attention to those who the the glory is due. The creator is do the glory. You can look down in your notes, and that is one of our first points today. The creator is do the glory. Revelation 4.11 says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The creators do the glory. And so if you're following Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, there should be this growing sense, this increasing clarity as you go, out, go about your life and as you go about your relationship with God, that he gets all the glory for your life, that your life is not your own, but that you've been bought with the blood of Christ, and that we seek no credit for our lives and no attention for our lives, but God, because of in, his infinite goodness and his grace and the love that he's demonstrated to us, that he gets all the credit and glory and honor of our lives. Now, I love the fact that Jesus modeled this for us and that Jesus in his humanity, when he walked here on earth, he sought no glory for himself. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 50, Jesus made this statement. He said, I'm seeking no glory for myself, but there's one who seeks it and he is the judge. This is Jesus saying, I seek no glory for myself. How much more? Should we not seek any glory for ourselves? If Jesus himself said, no, my life is meant to bring my Father glory. Now, the question is, how? How do we bring God glory with our lives? What's that practically look like? Well, Jesus is going to answer that for us in John 15. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to John chapter 15, or if you use the Bible on your smartphone, we're going to look at three statements that Jesus made in John chapter 15. Now, let me set this up before we go there. In John 15, we see Jesus at the end of his life and his ministry, and he's with his disciples, and it's the last night he's with them before he's going to be arrested in just a few hours. And they've had the last supper in their upper room, and they're going to eventually make their way over to the Garden of Gethsemane where uh, they're going to come and arrest him and take him to be executed in a matter of days. Okay, so he's with them in this last night. The night is tense. And in this conversation that we're going to peek into and check out a few statements that Jesus made to them, I think we'll find 
what God's will for our life is. And he's going to summarize for the disciples, and I think he says the same things to us. John 15, let's look at verse 8. Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Notice, and he says, this is to my Father's glory. And he's going to tell them what brings the Father glory. What, what, what is it in our lives that brings God glory? He says that you bear much fruit. You bring God glory in your life by bearing fruit. I bring God glory in my life by bearing fruit. We bring God glory by bearing fruit. Okay, now what is, what is fruit? What does Jesus mean by when he says the word fruit? Well, there are basically two kinds of biblical fruit. There is internal fruit and there's external fruit. What do I mean that, by that? Well, internal fruit is God's will for our internal lives. This is the work that God wants to do in us. It is how he wants to transform our heart and our minds, our character and our priorities. He wants to change our motivation and our will. That's part of what, what uh, Steve talked about last week. We talked about the process of sanctific- sanctification, how God wants to transform us internally. That's part of God's will for our lives. External fruit is God's will for our external lives. This is the work that God wants to do through us. This is what God's will is, that we would have impact on the people around us. This is what he wants us to, how he wants us to uh, have relational influence and how he wants others to see the good deeds of our lives. We talked about a few weeks ago, being rich in good deeds. This is God's external will for our lives. See, God's internal will for your life is that you be transformed into the image of Jesus He wants you to have the heart and mind of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the motivation of Jesus. He wants to produce the fruit of humility, of patience. He wants to produce in you greater faith and trust and obedience, joy and peace and patience and kindness. And that's just to name a few. See, so often we are focused on, when we ask the question, what's God's will for my life? We're focused on the circumstance, the role, the task, the decision. And God says, I want to use the circumstances of your life. I want to use the situation that you find yourself in to develop you internally. God is much more concerned about the person you're becoming than the things that you're accomplishing. God's will for your external life is to reflect the life of Jesus. God wants to love and serve people through you. God wants to bear fruit through you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your family, and with your friends. God wants you to relationally invest in others, to encourage and pray for and serve the people around you. If you're focused on that task and that role, God's saying, hey, I want you to focus on the people I have around you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. One of my favorite stories uh, in recent years of example of how God bears fruit through us is actually a story that involves my wife. Uh, About four uh, years ago, my wife took her first uh, teaching job at elementary age school. She taught third uh, third and fourth graders, and and it was her first year of teaching back in Louisville. And if any of you all are teachers or if you know a teacher, that first year of teaching can be really difficult. And so my wife is going through that first year of teaching, and she's just kind of facing the challenges uh, of learning this new trade and and being a teacher and, and, and doing her best. And all the while... There's this young lady across the hall from her, another teacher, 
She's a few years younger than my wife, and she's single, and my wife just starts to strike up a conversation with her and begin to kind of uh, initiate some, uh, some conversation with her and a relationship with her. And as she does, my wife, uh, as she so often does, uh, tries to encourage this young lady. Her name is Jessica, and so she tries to encourage Jessica, and she tries to tell Jessica, you know, God has good plans for you. And Jessica starts asking some questions of Paige and realizes that Paige is a, quish, uh, a Christian, and Paige shares her faith and eventually shares her faith and trust is in the gospel, is in, is in the Bible. And Jessica says at one point in time, yeah, I have a hard time believing that Bible stuff. Well, fast forward. Uh, at the end of that school year, the school year ends and my wife got let go from her job. And that was a challenging and difficult season for her and for us as she was asking and wondering, why would God open up this door and have me have this job for one year and then I lose this job? And she's kind of struggling with that. And fast forward a few months later as the summer goes and the second school year begins and we continuing that friendship with Jessica. And long story short is this. Eventually, my wife invites Jessica to church, invites her to a Bible study in our home, takes her to the bookstore and buys her a Bible, shares her faith with her, we pray for her, and eventually my wife baptizes Jessica, and Jessica gives her life to the Lord. And this coming summer, Jessica's getting married to a godly man, a Christian man, and my wife is invited to be a part of the wedding, and my daughter is going to be one of the flower girls, and I'm officiating the wedding. Now, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you, I take no credit. And she'll say throughout that whole time, when she was focused on her job, she was trying to love and build a friendship with this young lady named Jessica. But the whole time she says, I just kept praying and kept trying to follow the Spirit's lead. And it was God who bore the fruit through me and made an impact on Jessica's life. And now Jessica is sharing her faith with her family that's not a believer's. And there's this fruit that is born out of this investment. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's these good deeds. It's this relational impact that we have on others. It's what God's doing in our hearts and in our minds that brings the Father glory. Now, it doesn't always have to be something as dramatic as leading someone to Christ, but some of you have experienced this. Some of you are sitting here today. You've been praying for a neighbor or a coworker, and you've been investing in them, and you've been encouraging them, and you've been intentional in your relationship with them, and they're starting to ask you some questions. They're starting to ask you some questions about your life and about your faith and about how you do things a little bit differently. Some of you in this room have experienced God using you to help lead someone else to Christ and, 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 and help baptize them and help, the walk, help them walk in their relationship with God. Others of you, you're doing the simple things of giving a cup of cold, like a, giving a cup of cold water in my name. I love the fact that Jesus said in Matthew 10, if you do something as simple as give a cup of cold water in my name, that brings me glory. And it's these small deeds that we do in the name of Jesus that bring him glory. It's those ways that God wants to bear fruit through us. Now, there may be no greater joy in the Christian life than seeing God use you and work through you in the lives of others. If you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. And you know it's a humbling experience, and you know that ultimately it's God who gets all the credit and the glory. And so you may be sitting here today and you say, okay, I get it. God's will for my life is to bring him glory, and I know he wants to bear fruit in me and through me, but how does all that happen? Well, 
It's the second statement we're going to look at in John 15 that Jesus says. It's a few verses earlier than the last one, and it's in uh, verse 5, John 15, 5. Jesus said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, Jesus lets us know the secret right here. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That verse struck me and left the depression early on in my walk and my relationship with God, and it's never left me. That phrase that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We cannot produce the fruit of patience or kindness on our own. We cannot relationally influence others in our own wisdom or in our own efforts. It is through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit living in us which produces the fruit. Our part, Jesus said, is to be a branch and to remain in Him. Remaining or abiding in Christ means to to do this. We stay in, in constant relational connection to Jesus. It's living in constant union with God on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. This is God's will for our lives, relationship with Him. You bring God glory by bearing fruit from your relationship with Jesus. This is where it all begins. It's our relationship with Jesus that everything flows from. So let me give you four ways that you can cultivate your relationship with God starting today. Regardless of where you are, whether you've been following God for a long time or whether you're brand new, here are four things you can do. Number one, you can confess your total dependence on God. This is in your program. Number one, confess your total dependence on God. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine and you're the branch. Just as a branch is completely dependent on the vine, so too are we completely dependent on God. Now, I start here because this is probably the most difficult concept for us to grasp as Christians. And it's difficult in a large part because we live in America. And in America, independence is celebrated and independence is viewed as an indicator of success. success. In fact, we see dependence as a weakness. And we make it our goal in life to become more and more independent. The more independent we become, the more successful we are. Now, as a 37-year-old man, I am uh, no longer dependent on my parents to meet all my needs, and that's a good thing. But let's take my two little girls, for instance. I've got two little girls. We have my wife and I have two little girls under three years old. They need to know at three years old that in order for this relationship to work well, they are dependent on, her, on, on their mom and I, Okay. A few weeks ago, I had woken up and I was giving my, uh, fixing my daughter some breakfast, my two and a half year old, and she's sitting at the table and uh, she's just getting to that place where she thinks she's independent, you know? And um, so I had fixed her some breakfast and so what I'd done, I'd gotten her a bowl and some milk and I'd fixed her a little s- cereal and I'd left, I made the mistake, I left a box of cereal on the table. And so I said, uh, so she scooted up and she started eating her cereal. And so I said, honey, I'm going to leave the room. I'll be back in a few minutes. And so I left the room. I forgot what I was doing. I came back less than five minutes later. And what did I find? Well, my daughter had eaten her first bowl of cereal and she thought she'd go ahead and help, her help herself to a second bowl of cereal. And so what I found was two-thirds of that box of cereal poured out all over that table and all over that floor. And I walked in, and she looked up at me, and she saw me. And she said, no, no, Daddy, no, no, Daddy. She's like, oh, I don't want you to see what I've done. But what happened was she thought she was independent and thought she could do that on her own. And I think that's what we often do in our relationship with God. 
We think we can live this life on our own. We think we can make the decisions on our own. We think we can get through situations on our own. We think we can navigate relationships on our own. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It'd be a whole lot better if we begin to acknowledge that we are desperately dependent on God. And when we, re- when we realize this and when we live in a posture of dependence on God, we are communicating to him that he is God and we are not and that we need him. And so confess your total dependence on God. This is something we need to do every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Maybe, though, maybe there's somebody sitting in here this morning. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you've never done that for the first time. You've never had that moment in your life where you actually declared, God, I am dependent on you to make me right with you. I'm dependent on you to pay for my sins and to redeem my life. And so maybe today you need to confess that you are dependent on God for the very first time. You can do that today at the end of our service. Well, the second thing in your program uh, that you can do to cultivate that relationship with God, number one, uh, acknowledge or confess your dependence on God. Number two, talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Now, this may seem like the most simple uh, thing you can do, but I think it's probably the most neglected activity in the church today. Pray. Pray. As with any kind of relationship, a good relationship is, any kind of good relationship is filled with good communication. Remaining in Christ or staying relationally connected to Christ means that you have an ongoing dialogue with Jesus. We can come to church, we can serve, we can attend our connection groups, we can even spend time reading and studying our Bible, but never actually talk directly to Jesus. I've done it. So pray. And talk to Jesus. What's this look like on a daily basis? Let me give you a few examples from my own life. Number one, when you wake up in the morning, if you're married, you will typically say uh, good morning to your spouse. You'll say good morning maybe to your kids. Or you go to the workplace and you show up at the office and you see some coworkers, you say good morning to them. Never say good morning to your heavenly father. The Bible says that when we awake, he is there with us. Say good morning. Psalm 5.3 says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. And in the morning, Lord, I lay my request before you and wait. Talk to Jesus in the morning. Spend time in prayer. Tell him about your day. Tell him what's on your agenda. Confess your dependence and ask for his help that day. Next week, we're going to talk more about, and the sermon's going to be specifically about the topic of prayer, what it looks like to spend some uh, intentional time in prayer. But as you go throughout your day, talk to Jesus. Talk to him. There's going to be a variety of thoughts and feelings and emotions and situations you go throughout your day. Talk with him. Are you feeling discouraged? Tell him and say, hey, Lord, I could use some encouragement right now. Are you frustrated with someone? Tell him. Say, Lord, I'm really frustrated with this person. Ask him questions. Say, Lord, why do I get so frustrated with this individual? Do you have a difficult decision to make? Ask the Lord for some advice and some wisdom. Ask the Lord all kinds of questions. Listen, here's my theory. My theory is this. If no question's off limits when it comes to talking with the Lord. If you will ask a question of someone else, then why wouldn't you ask it of the Lord? And the point isn't, and you've got to make sure you get this, the point isn't that you just get answers from God. The point is we ask him questions, we share things with him because we want to share our lives with him. We want to share our heart with him. Because that's what you do when you love someone. And we're in this personal relationship with the God of the universe, who's an unseen God, but who's a very real person, who's with us always and who's constantly pursuing us. And he wants us to share our lives with him, our thoughts and feelings, our concerns and fears, our hopes and dreams. I remember a time when I, would ask, was I, when I was asking God, 
to open the door for me to go on this trip overseas. And the chances were slim, but I was praying and asking God, God, I want to go on this trip. And well, fast forward, I ended up getting a chance to go on the trip. God answered the prayer. I got, a, got the phone call, got the exciting news that I was going to be going. What's the first thing I did? First thing I did, I picked up the phone. I called my wife and I celebrated with her. I said, honey, I'm going on the trip. Told her the story. Shortly after that, during some prayer time, I got convicted. And I believe it was of the Lord. And I believe the Lord said to me, Kevin, I sure wish you would have celebrated with me first. I'm the one who answered that prayer for you. I'm the one who answered that door, opened that door for you. And I got so convicted and I thought, you're right. How easy is it that we just sometimes skip right over having conversations with God, celebrating with God, talking with Him. We so often leave Him last. And He says, I want to be first. I want to be the first one you come and talk to. Now, have you ever thought about this? you ever thought about um, at the end of your life, the fact that when we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, that we're going to have an opportunity to refer back to conversations we had with him while here on earth? Ever thought about that? John 17 says, This is eternal life, that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Eternal life begins when you enter into relationship with God. And I firmly believe that our conversations here on earth is going to be a dialogue we're going to continue into eternity. So I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus, I want to make sure I have a lot to refer back to. And a lot of conversations to refer back to. So number two, talk to Jesus. Pray. Engage with him in prayer. Number three, trust Jesus. There's no, uh, no relationship in your life will thrive without trust. You've got to trust Jesus. Trust his leadership in your life. Trust his plans. Trust his word. Trust, uh, trust is the key to any relationship. If you don't trust your spouse or a friend or a brother or a sister, that relationship's not going to go very far. When you trust someone, you're choosing to draw closer into relationship with them. What do you need to trust God with right now? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Number four, obey Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. If you love Jesus, you're going to obey Jesus. It's a fruit of our love. 1 John 5, 3 says we love God by keeping his commands. Obedience is God's love language, if you will. It's the way we express our love to God. Now listen, we don't obey God to earn his love. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and that we love because he first loved us. And so our faith and our trust isn't in our ability to love him perfectly. Our faith and trust is in his unfailing love for us. But the way we... uh, The way we communicate our love for God is by obeying his commands, obedience. And now listen, when you disobey God, it doesn't affect God's love for you, but it does when you disobey God. It affects your ability to experience his love for you. Now, let me say a quick word about the Bible and the word of God. You can't obey his commands if you don't know them. You've got to spend time in God's Word. You've got to pick up the Bible and read them. We have, if you don't have one with you, we've got a free one we'll hand and put in your hand today. Make, your, make a commitment that you're going to be a person who reads and studies the Word of God. Okay. The third and final statement we're going to look at is from Jesus, and it's on the last night. He's with his disciples there again in John 15. And he says in John 15, verses 
13 through 16. It says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, listen to what Jesus says. I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus says, listen, I poured my life into you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last for all eternity. It's the fruit of our lives that brings God glory. But it starts with that friendship. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I want to close by reading with you an excerpt of one of my favorite books. It's a book called The Fisherman. It's a novel, and it's written by a pastor, and it's based on the Bible, and it's based on the story and the life and ministry of Jesus, but it's written, it's really cool, it's written in first, pers- in first person from the perspective of the Apostle Peter. And so the whole book, it's Peter talking to the reader about his views and his interaction and relationship with Jesus. And about three years into his relationship with Jesus, Jesus said to him and to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, and they responded, well, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. Well, here's where this picks up. Peter's speaking now to, let's say, to us. And he says, you don't understand why this revelation that he is the Christ was so impactful to me. You can't figure out why with all of his miracles and all of his power and with all of his authority that it took me three years to see the truth. Well, you see, it was because he liked me. Because I liked him. See, I knew the Messiah was coming, Peter writes. I knew the Messiah was the hope of our nation, the hope of our world. But who could have guessed that the Messiah would become my best friend? He goes on to say, who would have guessed that the Messiah would love me and that I would love him? Who would have ever imagined that the Messiah and the Savior would laugh at my jokes, who would sit and talk with me for hours about nothing, and who he clearly delighted in my friendship and my presence with him? He goes on, and if you were not one of the few who were there with us, that's us. If you were not one of the few who were there with us, I think you may have to fight this battle the other way around. For those of us who were there, we found out that Jesus was nice and that he cared for us and that he truly loved us before we discovered he was the Messiah. You, on the other hand, you may have already accepted him as your Messiah, your Lord and your Savior, but you've not yet allowed yourself to believe that he loves you personally, deeply, eternally. And you can't imagine that he delights in your friendship and cherishes your sense of humor and values his communication with you. See, the master may ask you, who do you say that I am? And your great and glorious breakthrough will not be, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Your great breakthrough will be, you are my friend. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for the truth of the gospel that tells us that you loved us first, God, and that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, and that you demonstrated your love for us in that. And but you invite us into a relationship with you, God, and it's a relationship where if we will remain relationally connected to you, if we will cultivate that relationship with you if, you, if we will pray and we will seek you with all of our heart, God, that you will bear fruit in us and through us and that our lives can bring you glory and honor. God, would you continue to help us 
grow in our friendship with you? Would you help us see you as not just Lord and Savior and Messiah, but would you help us see you as friend? Would you help us relate to you and stay connected to you on a daily basis? And we look forward to seeing all the fruit that you're going to bear through our lives and all the glory that you're going to bring to your name. Amen.